Hello and welcome to the RBC Broadview Campus Sermon Podcast. Our mission here is loving God, loving people and seeing lives change. At RBC, our heart is to build a Jesus-centered community to see lives changed in multiple languages and locations. We hope you enjoy this message from one of our weekend services. To find out more about us, please visit our website, rbc.org.au. Good morning, everyone. Great to be here this morning. I was at Ross Trevor last week uh, preaching this sermon, and it was uh, such a privilege and joy to get back there and uh, talk to so many people who uh, many, many years ago now, it seems, we uh, shared and dreamed about what it might look like to plant a church, and it was uh, amazing to see how the Broadview Revitalization um, came into being um, through many, many people's prayers um, and many, many people stepping out in faith. So it was great to share some stories of what's going on here at Broadview, and I just want to uh, bring you back uh, much love and joy um, from people at RBC about what they hear about going on here at Broadview. Um, so, Sabbath series. Today, we are looking at the nine to five work, and I want you to cast your mind back to March 15, 2020. I'd just been away for a week on holidays. It was a Sunday, and I get a call from my boss. Dave, I need you to call your whole team. I've decided to close the office. I don't want anyone coming into work tomorrow. Everyone should work from home. The next morning, I sat up a desk in the bedroom, the only room of the house the kids don't need to go in during the day. At the time, we have a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a four-month-old. My wife, Maddie, looks at the desk looks at me, puts on a brave face and says, we can make this work. We're both thinking a couple of weeks, a couple of months, we could make it work. We got the kids to write a sign and put it on the door, Dad's office. When the sign's up and the door is closed, they now knew that they were not allowed to come in. I log on for work that Monday morning to a sea of images on our team channel of makeshift work environments hastily put together in bedrooms, in lounge rooms, on dining tables. Little did we all know that the nine to five office job was about to go through a fundamental shift. The kind of shift that normally takes place over many decades would take place over a few short years. And here we are, two and a half years later. I still have a makeshift office in our tiny house. I still work from home part of the week. And I now know that I'll always work from home part of the week. My nine to five work life will never be the same. And I know for many people, their nine-to-five work life is no longer the same as it was before COVID. 
Don't get me wrong, the lines between work and personal life were already blurring before COVID, but now for a lot of industries, those lines are all but gone. And this brings us to the message today. We're continuing our series, Redeeming Restfulness, a Sabbath series, and today we are looking at work. The nine to five, Monday to Friday grind. We work Monday to Friday, we have Saturday and Sunday for rest, a Sabbath and a spare. What's there to talk about, right? I know. I know that you know that work is rarely nine to five. And these days, a happy, simple, single, full-time job where you can clock in at nine and leave at five, work Monday through to Friday, and have the weekends to yourself to do nothing but rest. It's a myth. A job where doing the nine to five, Monday to Friday, will give you every opportunity that any other person who works at that company has. Where doing the nine to five is seen as plenty rather than just the bare minimum. Forget Monday to Friday, nine to five. Many jobs now cover seven days on multiple shifts, can be part-time, contract, have office hours, but expect out-of-office service, travel, on-call, email, Slack, Teams, Zoom, notifications, a laptop and a phone is all you need to work anywhere. Technology has brought flexibility, but also connectivity, which means we never unplug from work. And that is what I want to grapple with today. That's what I want us to think about. How do we find redeeming restfulness, Sabbath rest, in work that has access to every hour and every corner of our life? So before we dive in, why don't I pray? Father God, thank you for Sabbath rest. Thank you for the redeeming restfulness that can be found in Jesus as we practice Sabbath rest. As we consider our work lives and Sabbath, please open our eyes, reveal any blind spots in our work habits that we might experience the provision in our work that is Sabbath rest. As we read your word today and reflect on what that means for us, I pray that we would see, know and experience your love for us through the provision of Sabbath. I pray that we would not have a passive acceptance of the, this rest, take it for granted or expect it just to happen, but that we would be spurred on to build daily, weekly, yearly habits that cultivate Sabbath rest in our work and in our lives, that our work and lives would be for your glory and purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Colossians 3. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters. After sleep, the next biggest chunk of our life hours that we spend, we will spend on work. And work can be good, don't get me wrong. We were made for work. God designed us to work just like he works. Work is good for you, good for the world, and is most importantly good and pleasing worship to God. The trouble, however, is that we live in a broken world and many of our workplaces are structured in such a manner that what is considered good, what is considered worthy, is not work, but in fact overwork. 
It is unhealthy. And instead of work that is good for us, good for the world, and is good worship to God, we have work that becomes our master, work that we cannot rest from, work that makes us slaves to promotion, to success, to the next pay rise, to employers' exploitation, to societal expectations, to family pressures, to our ability to produce. Work can be a savage slave master, unrelenting, unforgiving. There is always more work to be done, and work can always be done better. The Japanese have a word, kuroshi, which means death by overwork. It's used to describe occupation-related sudden death. The most common medical cause of kuroshi deaths are heart attacks and strokes due to stress and starvation diets. Mental stress from the workplace also causes kuroshi through workers taking their own lives. The dangers of overwork are very real, and we have a society that, for the most part, places overwork on a pedestal. Long hours, reduced sleep, sacrificing other parts of our lives, such as family time, so that we can be working more. The hustle culture. Who here has heard of the hustle culture? Few of you. Few of you. The hustle culture. Do what you need to to get ahead. One job is no longer enough anymore. You need to have a side hustle as well. When you're not working, that's an opportunity. What's it an opportunity to be? To still be working. Anyone who cannot rest from work is a slave to work. And this will rob you of redeeming restfulness, not just in work, but in all areas of your life. The text we'll be reading from today is Leviticus 25. God has rescued his people out of slavery in Egypt. They are wandering in the desert, and God is speaking to them of how they should live in the new land that he will deliver them to. Leviticus 25, starting from verse 1, if you'd like to read along. The Lord said to Moses at Mount Sinai, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you enter the land I am going to give you, the land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years sow your fields, and for six years prune your vineyards and gather their crops. But in the seventh year, the land is to have a year of Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. Do not sow your fields or prune your vineyards. Do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the grapes of your untended vines. The land is to have a year of rest. Whatever the land yields during the Sabbath year will be good for you, will be food for you, for yourself, your male and female servants and the hired worker and temporary resident who live among you, as well as for your livestock and the wild animals in your land. Whatever the land produces may be eaten." Count off seven Sabbath years, seven times seven years, so that the seven Sabbath years amounts to a period of 49 years. Then have the trumpet sounded everywhere on the tenth day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement, sound the trumpet throughout your land. Consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each of you is to return to your family property and to your own clan. The fiftieth year shall be a jubilee for you. Do not sow and do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the untended vines, for it is a jubilee and is to be holy for you. 
eat only what is taken directly from the fields. Mount Sinai. What do people think of when they think of Mount Sinai? The Ten Commandments. Number four. Can anyone remember what number four is? It's a bit of a trick question. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. When it came to work, God had already given them a weekly rhythm. Rest one day every seven. But now God was going into more depth. God was giving the Israelites a bigger picture a bigger picture guideline on what it means to work. Every seventh year, the land is to have a year of Sabbath rest. It was not that every seventh year you should not work, you should not do anything. It wasn't like, holiday, let's all cruise the Mediterranean. You still, you need, you need to provide still. You needed sufficiency for yourself, your family, for anyone who came under your house's protection, Servants, hired workers, temporary residents, even the animals on your land. But that was it. That was enough. You should not look to produce anything more that year. And I find this concept of limiting work, of limiting productivity, as a gift of provision given to us from God through Sabbath rest as just a completely fascinating idea. It's so countercultural in today's society, in the materialistic world we live in, to not take up what is on offer to us, to not reap what we have access to, to not look over the fence and see more and want more, but instead to say, I am content with what I have. I love basketball, I follow the NBA, and if there's any NBA fans out there, You'll know it's been a very exciting off-season. Not all is well in Brooklyn. Kyrie Irving is not happy with the team. He wants out. But as an interesting quirk of his current contract, he has a player option left for the coming year. Now, player option, essentially it's one year left on the contract with an agreed salary that the player gets to choose whether he takes up or not. But the kicker for this one is that player option is worth 37 million US dollars. Now he can leave and sign somewhere else. He wants to go to the Lakers. The Lakers want to have him, but the Lakers can probably only give him six million dollars. So what do you think the media narrative around this story is? Nobody, nobody, not even Kyrie Irving, leaves 30 million dollars on the table. Sure, you could probably live off $6 million. I mean, sure, you've already earned over $200 million in your career, but nobody leaves $30 million on the table. So what do you think Kyrie did? He signed. Signed at Brooklyn. Signed for another year at Brooklyn, even though he didn't like Brooklyn and Brooklyn didn't like him. He pocketed his $37 million that's guaranteed now. He gets that. And he's just going to see what happens. He'll probably try and force a trade still and get out of there, but he wants his $37 million. And hear me, this is not a knock on Kyrie in any way. The narrative was we all would likely have done the same thing if we were ever in such a position. 
And God knows our human condition all too well. He understands greed. He understands the desire to want more, to look over the fence and not be content with what we have, to want more and more, to need to produce more and more. So not only does he have a seven-day provision, a seven-year provision for the Israelites, he also pops in a 50-year provision for them. Every 50 years will be a year of jubilee. This will be like the normal seven-year Sabbath rest, but also everyone gets to go home. A reset. Debts are forgiven. The rest of the chapter goes into the exact details and the complexity of it, which is quite complex. But essentially, God is putting protections in place for the Israelites from ever taking out generational debt, forever being sold into generational slavery, forever the larger clans buying up and eating up the smaller clans such that they no longer ever exist. The individuals, the houses and the clans' short and long-term productivity is limited by the Sabbath as a provision, as a protection. You see, Sabbath is a provision so that contentment and rest are found in God and not in the work that we produce. When thinking about work and Sabbath, Timothy Keller writes this, Sabbath, then, is the deliberate limitation of productivity as a way to trust God, be a good steward of yourself, and to declare freedom from slavery to our work. Sabbath is a reminder that we are valued and loved by God despite what we accomplish at work, how much we produce or how high our career goes. The year of Jubilee was not only a provision for the Israelites back then, but it also pointed to the future. The year of Jubilee was a taste of what was to come in Jesus. On the cross, Jesus completed the perfect work, sacrificed his life on a cross that all might be saved and know the love, belonging, and rest found in a personal relationship with the one true creator, God. A way was made for the captive to go free, for all to take part in the new creation which is to come, a place where work is only good and where true rest can be found. And right now, between the cross and the new creation, the Holy Spirit is at work in us and we get to testify of that good grace. We get to testify to today's culture that there is a different way a better way through Jesus, one where true meaning and rest can be found, where Sabbath rest can take its rightful place in our lives, where our good work glorifies God, but also in this Western productivity-chasing, workaholic-encouraging culture where our rest glorifies God. Sabbath points to a better way, points to a good and gracious God who in the person of Jesus did the perfect work not because of, but despite of what we had done. Sabbath rest testifies to the world that love and worth are not dependent on our capacity to work. A.J. Swoboda said, Sabbath is a scheduled weekly reminder that we are not what we do, rather we are who we are loved by. I love this picture, a weekly reminder, a little ping on the phone each week, again reminding us of something 
that we already knew but that we had forgotten. And I think work can be like that sometimes. We can so get caught up in the work that other things in our lives just get pushed to the edges, get pushed to the boundaries, and we need to be reminded. We need our lives to constantly be reordered. And this is where I want to land us today. How should work and rest look in our lives during this week, throughout the year, and into the future seasons of our lives? And there's much we can unpack here, and I do encourage you to continue these conversations throughout this week and in the coming weeks with your family, with your friends, in your small groups. The very basic framework I want to propose to you in which to consider this question is an old-school weight scales. You have work on one side, rest on the other. And my thesis, quite simple, we need to actively tilt the work-rest scales of our lives. We need to firstly limit productivity, and secondly, we need to elevate rest. And in doing this, my hope and prayer is not that this would be some kind of self-help where everything miraculously gets fixed, but instead, it would help us build some boundaries in our lives, help us create some space in our lives, space not for emptiness, but space for God, space for Jesus, space to be reminded that you are known, you are loved, irrespective of what you do, what you produce, space to know that it is God who ultimately provides, and space to rest, rest in the freedom and peace of Jesus. So firstly, limit productivity. Put boundaries in place so that you're not always working. Establish work hours. I have a phone. On my phone, I have email, Slack, Teams, Jira, phone, text. And all of these ways, my work can theoretically interrupt me. I mean, contact me 24-7. Create do not disturb periods. Turn off notifications, filter calls. My work notifications are set for Monday to Friday, 8 to 5.30. If work needs to contact me outside of those times, they know they need to directly call my mobile phone. And I bet, I'll tell you, it better be an emergency. If they call me and it's not an emergency, I'll be very upset. And everyone knows that, and they're happy with that boundary. Plan inactivity. Within those established work hours, which I guarantee you will be longer than whatever your official work hours are, plan to not do anything. To start, this might be one hour a fortnight. Send yourself a meeting request. No agenda. Put it in there. Make sure you're not going to be interrupted. Find a quiet place somewhere. And surprise yourself. Let whatever grows grow during that time, but give yourself the space. Secondly, elevating rest. Establish rest hours. Just like you choose to work, choose to rest. Choose a day a week to not think about work, to have a Sabbath. If you're a shift worker, this is more difficult. You'll need to plan. It won't be the same day every week. But do it. Don't look at work emails on that day. I know that I can't look at anything related to work on a Sunday because if I do... I'll start thinking about work. And once I start thinking about work, I don't stop thinking about work. So guard those rest hours jealously. 
Make sure you know what gives you rest. If you're an extrovert and you think rest involves staying in a room, closing the door and having hours where you don't get to talk to anyone, I guarantee you, you will not jealously guard that time. If, however, you're an introvert like me, a quiet room with a door that closes sounds amazing. Plan rest activity. Now, this might seem a bit counterintuitive, but book in rest activities with yourself and with others. Plan them in advance. Plan to do things that you enjoy doing, that create rest in your life. Spend money on them. I can't emphasize this enough. Spend money on them. Do things that you love doing. Spend money on them. Do it weekly, but more importantly, do it yearly. Do it bigger. Go away for a weekend. Do normal holidays, yes. I'm not saying don't do normal holidays, but if you have kids, and there's many people here at Broadview who have kids, I guarantee you, going on holidays with kids is not rest. The holidays when you go back to work after the holiday, that's when you get the rest. So book a weekend away without kids. And this, I know, it's a logistical nightmare, but put in the time, put in the effort, it does pay off. When it comes to work and rest, daily, weekly, yearly rhythms are your friend. Any investment you make in these rhythms now to thoughtfully consider what would work best in your life, and that's what's important, what will work best in your life, in your family's life, to ensure Sabbath rest has its rightful place in your work, this investment to limit productivity and elevate rest, it will pay off for the many working years you have ahead of you. And one final thought to add into the mix, consider your life season. Everyone goes through many life seasons. Study, starting a new job, starting a family, a career change, new ministry work, not all seasons are the same, and some are busier and harder than others. What works for you now may not work for you in your next season. But I encourage you, if you're about to go through a busy season, or you're in a busy season, one where perhaps rest will not be elevated as much as it should, plan for that season to end. Put a date on it and stick to it. Because once you get into that busy lifestyle, that work-heavy lifestyle, it can be very hard to exit. So put a date on it, exit it, and most importantly, don't run another busy season straight after. Have a period where you are restful, where you're living a more normal equilibrium of life, of work, of rest. You see, we were made for work. Work is good for you, good for the world, and it is most importantly good and pleasing worship to God. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. And while you are working, the Sabbath will be there, a provision from God that contentment and rest will be found in him and not in the work you produce. Amen? The weekly habit this week is a daily blessing. Pray the blessing at the beginning and end of each day this week. Pray a blessing over your family and your home. Pray a blessing over your work and your workplace. May God use us to be a blessing to all who we meet this week. 
whether at home or work. Why don't I pray? Father God, thank you for the provision of Sabbath rest. I pray that we would experience the redeeming restfulness of Jesus in our work this week, this year, and throughout the rest of our work life, that we would not find our identity, our meaning, our purpose in what we are able to produce, but rather be able to rest in what Jesus has done. God, help our work and rest to testify of your provision, your goodness, and your love in a world that constantly celebrates the production of more and more. May how we work and rest not only strengthen our relationship with you, but be a blessing to all those around us. Help us build good boundaries and rhythms in our work life. Help us navigate the many different work and life seasons that will come in the future that our work and our lives would be for your glory and purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening and we hope that you enjoyed this podcast. If this message has impacted you in some way, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us through the hub online at thehub.rbc.org.au or through our social media links in the show notes. See you next time.